from Relevant Magazine. It's the Relevant Podcast. Of Friday, April 5th, 2013, and it's the relevant podcast. This week's episode is brought to you by audible.com, the leading source for audio content and audiobooks on the internet. They have more than 100,000 titles, and they have a special offer just for relevant podcast listeners. If you go to a special URL, audiblepodcast.com slash relevant, you'll be able to get a 30-day free trial of their service, including a completely free audiobook download. After you sign up and, you, and you're sitting there like, okay, I've got my free audiobook opportunity. You don't want, you don't want to waste it. So you're going to look around and it, what should you download? That's a big question. There's 100,000 options. I think you should download a recent podcast guest book, Judas Smith. His book, uh, Jesus Is, uh, just got added to audible.com and is definitely worth a listen. Or you could check out Rice Brooks' God's Not Dead. You could check out Craig Rochelle's new one alter ego uh, there's a lot of great options a lot of guests from the relevant podcast a lot of the interviews we had um, have books on audible.com so remember if you want to get your free book free trial uh, head over to audiblepodcast.com slash relevant the relevant podcast is the weekly show from the team behind relevant magazine where we bring you interviews music and the news that is absolutely essential and vital to your life only what's essential and vital. Started to feel like that might be a little tongue in cheek. What? I know, we've been, I know. I know it's been a tagline for a while, for almost what three full weeks now. <laughs> but I'm sensing some layers in the <laughs> description. I guess it depends on what kind of life you lead. <laughs> if the things we talk about are essential to it, it draws a lot of questions. About if the you are, if you are Jungle Bird, it is the news uh-huh. that is essential. Yeah, this is all you need to know. Then. Yeah. Correct. Um, I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and here with me in our Orlando studios is the very lovely and trim Maya Strang. Ooh, thank you. <laughs> to her left, also You're lovely. You're a fan of both of those adjectives. <laughs> I like that. Also lovely and trim, Tyler Huckabee. I like it too. On the Skype line from Loverland, Virginia, I haven't seen his waist in a while, Jesse Carey. I've I've gained quite a bit of the <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've, I've been leading a pretty unhealthy lifestyle since we've last seen each other. <laughs> and on the ones and twos over there, our illustrious producer, also trip, Chad Michael Snape. Hello, friends. <laughs> we have a great show for you today. Uh, coming up later, we talk to prolific artist, legendary artist. I don't getting there. Prolific. I would say legendary is down the road. Regina Spector is on the show. And we also talked to uh, author Jonathan Merritt, who wrote one of the kind of trifold pieces of the 10-year anniversary section in our current issue of Relevant. Uh, he wrote the piece on the, the 10 trends that kind of changed everything over the last decade. Right. So stay tuned. Can't wait. We, we, this is a good day because like, we're, we're starting to breathe because our print issue for May, June is, is gone. I feel so much better. <laughs> so now that that's gone, we get to do you know all the other things 
that, that, yeah. that we try to do. Last week, we had the third highest week ever on our website. Traffic. Wow. And, and the funny thing, Jesse, is our top three highest traffic weeks ever in our history of 12 years have been in the last two months. Wow. Yeah. Not coincidentally, about the time that Jesse came back on as a more I didn't put those pieces together. I was, I, so I was just, that's why I was telling him. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, since Jesse joined the team and is doing a lot of slices and stuff now, hmm, all of a sudden the site's exploding again. Well, it, it has been a, a blast. And, uh, you know, I get on, I jump on and, and, you know, chat with Tyler every day. It's fun to see what connects with the audience on a day-to-day basis. What, what have you it, learned? It always surprises me. Yeah, what, what have you learned? Have you found any any, any secret patterns? formulas? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So some of, here's some observations. And again, this is a limited sample, and I'm mainly going off, you know, how many times is this shared on, on social sites as my barometer here. Uh, so people love stuff about Rob Bell. They love stuff about the Pope. Yeah. Mm. They love stories about Legos. Yep. <laughs> they love stories. Yeah. They, they love articles about weird food. Yeah. Weird food articles yeah. always do well. And, and the most popular slice that I've done that had, you know, like 3,000 shares, which is a lot for, for a web slice, it is, believe it or not, is Chuck Norris shaving his beard. No way! <laughs> like, there are days when, when I find, so like, people. this really great, like, last week, like, the, on Friday, I found this really great story about this guy who had, uh, he, he had found a way to get uh, medications into, he noticed that wherever you could go in the world, the most remote villages in the world, that you could buy a Coke. And he noticed that a lot of these villages had really uh, a lot of problems getting the right uh, types of medications and, and, and supplies to purify their water. So he found ways to include these medical supplies in crates of Cokes and use Coke's distribution system. I thought, this is a great story. This is right up our reader's alley. You know what, you know what Slice outperformed that one that day? Bacon flavored mouthwash. <laughs> More people were into the bacon flavored mouthwash than they were that sort. That's not that's not an indictment. It's just it's a learning experience every day. It's been a lot of fun. Well, I think I think maybe more people you know people read it with interest. They just don't feel yeah. compelled to share it. I agree. Yeah. Uh, there's but. a shareability to some of the because everybody is concerned. We're obviously our readers really care about social justice and cool things people are doing to meet those needs. But people need to know about Chuck Norris not having a beard. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And yeah, who's going to tell that, that's, that's got to be told. You yeah. and Jesse, you've been finding some great videos. Uh, <laughs> earlier this week, you found a cell phone video from a pastor who was filming an elderly ninja practicing in a food line parking lot, and the pastor was giving play-by-play commentary. <laughs> that was amazing. That was amazing. It's pretty phenomenal play-by-play commentary. And he starts uh, slipping into pastor mode where he's talking about, like, you know, it's Easter week, and he's, like, just getting ready for Easter, and he's, like, you know, just one Lord, one baptism, but two nunchucks, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, it, you know, when you find stuff like that, it's just, it's it's like a gift. Yeah, you know? it is. Because it, really it just really fits up. So, like, where else on the internet are you going to go? And I'm not trying to, like, toot our own horn, you know? But where else are you going to go online that you're going to find cool social justice stories? You know, the articles every day are about, uh, you know, these really um, timely, 
uh, social issues lately, uh, interviews with great pastors and, and thinkers and leaders about <laughs> faith, and also viral videos of, <laughs> like, of, a, of, a, of an elderly guy playing with nunchucks with a pastor doing phenomenal play-by-play commentary. Actually, we have to play a part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, you need to go watch this and get the full visuals, but just picture this is the setting. The man, uh, the pastor is sitting in the, the driver's seat of his car, uh, probably 150 feet away from a van that was parked in the empty part of the Food Lion parking lot. So it was kind of parked askew across several spaces. And the door was open. The driver's side door was open. An elderly man, probably 70 years old, dressed in all black, head to toe all black, was standing about five feet from the van with two nunchucks uh, practicing with them mm-hmm. and just flailing them around very poorly. And <laughs> yeah, practices maybe. Yeah. This would have to so be So this first is not a guy who actually session. has any karate training. He yeah. just felt compelled, I need some space. I've really got to get some practice time in. I need some space. Where better than this open parking lot? So the pastor <laughs> stops, starts recording him, and here's uh, part of the video. Yeah, what y'all know about... Um getting your Kung Fu Nunchuck Panda um, in the parking lot of the local food lion. Get it, my man. He out here doing it. Yeah, that's right. I'm 58, 63 years old, out here on the side of my pickup truck in food lion. And I'll whoop a fool upside his head. I'm out here practicing, getting ready for Easter Sunday. Jesus gonna rise up. I'm gonna whoop the devil. Right out here in the parking lot. Pickup truck. Radio playing. Sunglasses ain't no sun. It's cloudy. <laughs> and I'm out here with my gloves and my nunchucks. One man, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, two nunchucks. <laughs> Up in the air like Mary Lou Redden. Pow behind the back. Bust your finger. That hurt. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. Shake it off, homie. Shake it off. Shake it off. Yep. Toe that finger up. Yeah, buddy. Time to call it quits. Looks like the devil won this round, folks. I had to get back in the car, get me a Band-Aid, shake it off. Shake it. I just you. love that he felt compelled to not just film this guy, but, but, but do give a, such an incredible narration. Yeah. Oh, I just love that pastor, and I want to go to his church. I yeah. don't know where he is. Yeah, but I do, too. Oh, I would love to. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you mean when you find one of those videos where it's like a get. It's, it's, like, it's like you picked up... Like a china plate, and like, don't drop this one. This is gonna. This is a big yeah, one. Yeah, this one's gonna do with well. Care here. <laughs> this has a lot of potential. Oh man! And then uh, a few days, I guess, a few days earlier, earlier this week, it was right after Easter Sunday. Uh, Chad, you found a video of a uh, uh, kind of an old school Pentecostal church service, yeah. an Easter Sunday uh, pageant kind of service where uh, somebody in the f- crowd was just filming this special song, you know, large double-breasted suit guy singing the lar- the big traditional the finale, song, yeah. the big, you know, moment. And there was kind of a papier-mâché tomb on the stage, you know. The stone was in front of it. And at the crescendo of the song, uh, Jesus was going to emerge from the tomb. That was the plan. Well, he's standing there, and the guy's singing his song, and... Uh, there was a big note, and they had like a like pyrotechnics, like like Jesus has risen, and he hasn't emerged from the tomb yet, but he's risen, right? And the pyrotechnics caught the eight foot tall paper mache tomb on fire, mm-hmm. and it's not just fire; it is a a, a it is fireball. A, it is a wall. It is a, <laughs> it is a hearty blaze <laughs> on the stage of the church. Now, 
People start running and scrambling, but the man doesn't stop singing. Yeah. <laughs> this is his moment. This is too important. And then at the predetermined note, the crescendo, the moment, the apex of the song. And you know he's been practicing this for months. months. Yeah. <laughs> he is risen. <laughs> Boom! Jesus kicks the flaming stone down, <laughs> walks over it with his hands out to his sides, and is like, oh, yeah. What's and is now? prancing around the stage while the man continues to sing. And the flaming tomb! Finally, people have gotten the fire extinguishers. Flame is on I, the like carpet. The grabs the door just like runs yeah, off yeah, the screen. Yeah, he runs off. Like, realize like, this is a serious situation. The, the, crowd, the crowd is trying to put the fire out. Women and men. Men and children are running onto the stage, but the singer and the Jesus are unfazed. It is unbelievable. There's a solid, there's a solid twelve foot fire behind him, at least. <laughs> shrapnel is flying off and burning the carpet and stuff. And so finally, two fire extinguishers put it out at the exact moment that the song ends. And so everybody starts just roaring and cheering. Yeah. The singer and the Jesus think it's for them. Everybody it sparked else. a revival right there. And I'm not going to lie, guys. That was my church, and I was filming that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what it reminded me of when I was watching? I was like, if, if Cameron from Modern Family... Yeah. Are you guys yeah. 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 if he was a real person he would do the same thing as that singer like I've practiced too long for this or, or the Jesus who was you know very proud of his role of yeah. his timing of course despite the circumstances he still hit his cues Man. you know well, he's probably in that he's probably in that infer- inferno you know like Roasting. you know what I could burn alive in here but I'm waiting for the cue <laughs> and you gotta give props to them cause I would I would be out of there so fast if I was Jesus. The minute I smell trouble, I am, yeah. I'm like crying. I'm yeah. like, the minute I smell trouble or burning or my bur- own burning or flesh, I'm out of there. Or that I am encased in yeah. a burning tomb. And I give props to the cameraman yeah. because he didn't shake once. No. Right. He didn't he, run. He, he just stayed right there. Yeah. He, didn't go, he didn't go help. He, no. knew, he knew this he was knew a his big role. Moment. Yeah. Right. I yeah. got to record this for relevant. Yeah. <laughs> Except he recorded it vertically. <laughs> so it was hard. Really bugs you. Yeah, Cell it, phone it me. people. It bugged me. If you're yeah, recording everybody. something on your phone, okay? All right, there's something happening. Let me record it. You know, the reality is you're going to want to watch that again. How? What? What shape is your television? Or a movie screen or is something. It, is it slender and tall? Or is it rectangle and horizontal? <laughs> Hold your phone sideways. Because that that was the one thing about that church thing. I mean, yeah, it could have been so much if, better. If the video had been, if the video had been any less... We needed, yeah, we needed a panoramic <laughs> shot. I wanted right. to see what was going on yeah, on the Because you know, like, Mary's there somewhere. Like, what's she doing? Yeah. 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 I can see what's going on with about, you know, six feet on the floor. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the Yeah, the cameraman, shot. we admire your courage. <laughs> but, a, but a solid two-thirds of that shot was the back of people's heads. There's something called headroom that we call in the biz. Learn. <laughs> headroom. And we had a few, I saw a few of our readers tweeted that that was their church. Yeah. So if anybody has access to the cameraman, yeah. to Jesus... Or particularly to the soloist, yeah. we'd like to I get them like on. I would, I would love to say thank yeah. you. Early front runner for an Oscars.biz. <laughs> oh yeah, you know it would be great if we could get the guy from the Kung Fu video 
<laughs> to do a narration of the Inferno. Oh, the oh. We could somehow arrange that. Oh. It couldn't be that hard to do. World's one Lord, collide. one flesh, one faith, one baptism. Yeah, but give him no preparation either. Just, you know, just, this yeah. is this is improv. This is your thing, man. Oh. Just just own it. We should we That's should do idea. a series of, of of viral videos on mute and have him watch them. He could be live. Yeah, in live. I honestly think we could get this to happen. We just need yeah. to find the guy. Somebody knows who he is. Yeah. I feel like he might have missed his call. Far be it from me to tell a pastor that he's in the wrong line of work. He, yeah, that he was not called the ministry. Right. I, but... I hope he stays in the ministry, but I think this could be an interesting side project yeah. for him as well. <laughs> well, well, offline, we'll, we'll have to talk about this to see if we can arrange it, because I think it'd be hilarious. Be amazing. All right. Well, let's get rolling. Stay tuned. Up next, Relevant Recommends. I'm about to slow thing just so I could watch it burn. Nothing's mine anyway. Guess I got a lot to learn. Take it to the birthplace, take it right to the Bronx. Tell them spoiled brats they've been acting like a bunch of punks. How they gonna do you like they never really knew you? Jump back, catch the Holy Ghost, saying hallelujah. The up jump, the boogie that jump start my battery. Double A, purple hay, gray's anatomy. The hoes ain't having me, the hay stay mad at me. Beat me when you battle me, believe me, brother, that'll be a cold day. You're listening to Plato. The song is Cold and Play from his uh, album Write or Die, Do or Die. I like Plato a lot. I don't know how he'd feel about this statement, but if I was Plato, I'd be really ticked off at all the love Macklemore's getting because Plato has a similar style. I'm not saying that because they're both white rappers. Right. They have a similar style. It's that lyricist, great, you know, it's just really great stuff. And Plato's been doing it for a long time. Long time. time. And uh, Macklemore has two. Macklemore has two. But, I mean, Plato, man, deserves some due that he hasn't gotten yet. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Cold War Kids with their new one, uh, Miracle Mile, from the new album. Okay, it's time for Relevant Recommends. Movies coming out on Friday, April 12th, uh, To the Wonder, Rachel McAdams, Ben Affleck's new flick. Is that, that's Terrence, is that Terrence Malick? Yes, it is. I think it is. It is Terrence Malick. Is it? Mm-hmm. It's both, so you're going to be really into it, right, Jesse? Oh, of course. Uh, I will be uh, seeing several screenings of it. I'm, just what I want is a four-hour movie with lots of landscape shots. Bring it on. Uh-oh. I could, I could get into lots, you with lots it. Of, lots of poetic narration and, and random landscape shots. I, I'm, I'm seeing it. We could throw down with it over this, Jesse, but I'm not going to. You're a big Terrence Malick fan? I'm, I'm a big Malick fan, but I want this to be a place where people feel free to express their opinions. Good. They're boring movies. <laughs> also so go ahead. What were you saying? <laughs> also coming out, uh, 42, uh, the uh, the baseball flick with Harrison Ford uh-huh. and Chadwick oh, Boseman. Yeah. Oh, I'll see that many times. The coolest commercials on TV right now. They the are. Way. They are. I mean, even if you're not a baseball fan, and even if you're not a Jay-Z fan, the combination of the two gets you really pumped every time the commercial <laughs> comes true. on. It's true. Uh, music coming out on Tuesday, April 9th. Uh, Big Black Delta is coming out with Big Black Delta. Kurt Vile coming out with Waking on a Pretty Days. And Dawes is coming out with Stories Don't End. And here with our recommendations, here's a couple of our picks. Well, I actually brought uh, two to the party today, and I'll keep them both short. The first one is called Tele. The band is called Telekinesis. 
Uh, the album is called 12 Desperate Lines. I believe this is the second album from Telekinesis. He, what, he's, what he's traditionally done has been a little more of a, uh, a pretty straightforward garage rock pop sort of thing. It's not nearly as angry or as, uh, we'll say, self-indulgent as a lot of garage rock is. Uh, there's a lot of good pop hooks to it. But on, on this most recent one, on 12 Desperate Lines, the, it catches up to the future a little bit. There's some electronica bleep, some... Uh, yeah, we'll call them bleeps. and bloops. Blip, bleep, bloops. No, <laughs> oh, the Cigarosa the album. The, the, yeah. yeah, the technical. Yeah. He, he, he draws from my favorite Cigarosa album. <laughs> blop, blop, glorp, glorp. <laughs> um, he has a full band around him, but it really is this, it's really this one guy named Matt, who's actually the drummer. He's the lead singer and the drummer. That doesn't happen very often. I think it, that sounds really hard to me. I'm neither the lead a drummer. singer and drummer. Yeah, yeah, it's Phil, Phil Collins style. Phil Collins did it. Um, I feel like I mean Dave Grohl could do it. Dave Grohl yeah. has done it. He has I think. done it. But um, Levon Helm did it in the band, but I, I can't think of Peter Furler from the Newsboys. Did <laughs> Peter it for Furler a while. from the Newsboys <laughs> did it off and was on it, it, while spinning upside down. <laughs> so he's probably the most talented singer drummer <laughs> that I've ever seen because I don't think this guy does anything upside down. But it's a really good. It's really catchy. It's really easy to listen to. Um, but there's like little unexpected moments that kind of catch you off guard, and uh, and I, I really like it. Here's a clip. And the other one is actually one that I just found out about this morning. The, the guy is called Bombino, and I'd never heard of him, but he's from northern Niger. The great Bambino? Yeah, he's, he's not, he was not, a I've Yankee slugger. Him. This isn't the great one. This is a, a lesser a lesser Bambino, and it's okay. bomb, B-O-M, Bombino. Bombino. And of course. I guess he spent most of his uh, life running from a lot of the war in his country. <laughs> and he recently released an album, and to contribute on the guitar... He used Dan Auerbach of the Black Keys to play all the guitar parts and to produce the album. And the result is something that I'm a big Black Keys fan. It sounds very Black Keysy, but it has a little bit of that sort of arid desert sound, like a Middle Eastern sound to it, too, that's really open, really spacious. And uh, Bombino does all the vocals. The album is called Nomad. And uh, as a joke, they've been calling him and Dan Auerbach's band the Nomadic Keys. That's not an official title but you see it's been getting thrown around so it might become official who knows but i've been loving it since i found it i've been listening to it listening to it all morning Well, my recommend uh, is an album that I am greatly anticipating. I've only heard a couple songs off of it, but uh, you guys are fans of this artist as well. Uh, the new James Blake album comes out this next Tuesday. Yeah. Um, it's called Overgrown, and if you're not a James Blake fan or you don't know who he is, um, he really came onto the scene with his last album when he did a cover of Feist's song, uh, Limit to Your Love. And uh, kind of post-dubstep, electronic, um, some bleeps and blurps in there. Uh, he draws from Sigaros as well, I mm-hmm. guess you could say. But um, the thing that I love about James Blake so much is that for electronic music, there is so much space 
in James Blake's music. I'm just a huge fan of the style that and, and the mood that he creates, and so I'm very, very excited for uh, for his new album, Overgrown, which comes out this next Tuesday. Well, he he, I'm massive fan of James Blake as yeah. well, and what I love about him is he writes compelling melodies he writes great songs mm-hmm. but the production approach and the sound that he that they that they create in the music is like he deconstructs those songs yeah it almost sounds like very interesting complex minimal remixes of somebody of another song right but no that's like, just, a, like almost sort of the demo version it, of a song that will later be kind of amped up in production it, it, it's just it's beautifully deconstructed it is it is absolutely minimalism at its at its best but but what works about it and i feel is what's different from some of the others that it would be in that more kind of like atmospheric electronic genre is that he writes great melodies yeah. and he the core mm-hmm. of it is a great song yeah that gets stuck in your head yeah and that doesn't happen yeah. with a lot of the other kind of deconstructed stuff somebody called james blake the first uh, electronica singer songwriter which ah, might be a little uh, a little bit of hyperbole but not much but because the fact that there's this uh, the song is it, such it, a big part it of it. It sounds like a singer-songwriter who decided to use electronica yeah. instead of a because guitar. Because he could take yeah. those exact same R&B, songs and sit right. down at a, just a solo piano and yeah. play them and they would be beautiful right. songs. Right, right. That's right. The well, and, and that's the hallmark of a great song. Right. 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 If it's at a piano, he could do it R&B, he mm-hmm. could do it with a guitar, and they're great songs. Yeah. But he did it in this interesting, unconventional, deconstructed way that is just enrapturing. It's yeah. yeah. Really beautiful. Yeah, really beautiful. Absolutely. So show me why you're strong Ignore everybody else We're alone now Oh wait So show me why you're strong Ignore everybody else We're alone now So, so my recommendation is from a band that's been a, uh, around a long time that uh, I think they were a little bit ahead of their time when they started making music, but have released it, recently released their new album, Moment. The band is Waterdeep. It's it's definitely a progression of their sound if you're familiar with their uh, brand of music. Uh, it's, it's very mellow, but I think this album, you can hear little bits of sort of Seven Swans era, Sufjan Stevens. There's, there's a couple tracks that sound sort of have like a hint of Rosie Thomas and, and sort of the whispery iron and wine. It's a really cool album that has some great songs on it, including speaking of singing drummers, a cover of the Phil Collins, one of the greatest songs I've written in the air tonight. Nice. And it does, yes, have a drum fill. <laughs> I know that's the first thing you're thinking. So the, the album's called Moment. It's from the band Waterdeep. Uh, here's a clip. Cool. All right. Well, that'll do it for Relevant Recommends. Stay tuned. Up next, Slices.
you're listening to Hoyle, song is Prodigal from their new album. All right, time for Sices. What do you have, Jesse? Okay, well, this one, I actually want to thank Chad because he initially sent me the link. Um, and I want to preference uh, to that. You know, I may look like you needed here, but I don't, I just, I don't get like modern art, you know? <laughs> sure. Uh-huh. But like, I understand that people do it. I just think some of it's kind of stupid. <laughs> like, I, I, you know what I mean? Like, I get that people pay money to go to these installations and things, but I think some of it's pretty, pretty lame. So the one that is getting a lot of mainstream attention is uh, the actress Tilda Swinton. She's in Moonrise Kingdom and a lot of other films. And she had a, a show at the Museum of Modern Art where it's just her sleeping in a glass box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's called The Maybe, right? Yeah. So who knows what that's supposed to be about, okay? Let's, let's not kid ourselves here. She's getting paid to sleep. Okay, right. so... Okay. Well, I mean, it's a commentary. I mean, all art... On. All um, art has non-literal meanings, but I mean, you could. Some people would look at that and say it's a commentary on uh, celebrity status, how they all live in kind of glass boxes where they're trapped, and everybody can see everything when they're trapped. Why is it called the maybe? The visibility of it. Um, I because she's not always there. Like she gets out and walks around. So you show up. Maybe Tilda Swinton's going to be there. Maybe she's not. Well, to, to me, this okay, my, okay. Here's this the is thing. my take. All right, it. real quick. I think. You know, and maybe this is the whole idea with art. And I get subtlety. I understand, you know. But, like, did the artist just think, you know, it'd be cool if I, like, slept in a glass box. And then I'll let the audience apply whatever meaning they think I'm trying to project on them. And that's the meaning right there. I don't really have to have any idea what I'm doing coming into this. I just have to go sleep in a glass box. And they'll project some sort of meaning on it. I've, I've watched enough Netflix documentaries on artists that and art lovers, modern art lovers, that... I've I've noticed that like, you know, you, you, people could look at a, a piece of iconic modern art that's, you know, a thirty foot tall canvas and it's all white and has this one little black streak on it, right? And you look at it and go, I could do that, right? <laughs> but what's interesting is when you look at these things. I mean, there's modern art. It's just one of these things that when you see it, you know if it's art or not. Like, there's no clear parameters of what is modern art, what makes it. But you see it and you know it. And, and, and it's like, there, yeah, paper with scribbles. There's a paper with scribbles that is incredibly in, in, like legendary modern art. And there's paper with scribbles that a three-year-old did in their preschool class. And they look somewhat similar. But there's something about the art one that just, it, that's art. It, well, well I, I'm interested to hear you guys' opinion of this story then. Because the, 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 what happened is there's an artist in New York City who had an idea for, for an art show that he was going to do at a New York art gallery. So in the months leading up to the show, he would arrange different meetings with other local New York artists. And during these meetings, which he would either meet them at a bar to kind of chat and look at each other's work, he would go to their houses, he would go to their, their galleries, he would steal a piece of their art. Hmm. Like covertly, hmm. actually steal one of their pieces of art whether it's you know some sort of sculpture or a picture or you know part of their installation he would steal it and Hmm. uh, a a lot of the times it went unnoticed so it was about 77 artists uh everything from you know like i said objects to art making devices to sculptures and right before he was ready to do his own display he emailed them and he basically told them look i've taken these items from you and I'm going to use them as a part of an art installation called Thanks. And the whole installation 
is putting your stolen art on display. Yeah. Eventually, all of the artists, all 77 of them, agreed to it. Uh, and it's actually, the installation's gotten really good reviews. Here's what the New York Times said. It said that it's equal parts group show and conceptual insulation, prank and boundary pusher. It raises messy art world questions about aesthetic ownership and influence, the division between curator and artist, and the value of non-traditional and repurposed work. And it reveals something about how the artists generate ideas. To me, it sounds like you just stole a lot of things and are putting them on display. But uh, you know, a venue like the New York Times says it's a great commentary on the modern art world. Yeah, last Friday he was the the life section cover yeah. story. Yeah, and I was reading it, and I here here's the thing that I took away from the purpose of his show and the commentary he was indeed making. I think it actually was a thoughtful a concept in this sense. He's calling it thanks. He went around for months and months, and he just as an artist would hang out with other artists at their gallery and just would like get them talking. He'd always in his backpack bring beers, and so he'd you know wait till the gallery was empty or it's just kind of a one on one time with the artists, and they just hang out and they kick back and have beers. He would wait until the artists eventually had to go to the restroom because of all the beers. Wow. Sure. And sure. would then at that, and, and while they're talking, you know, they're like going into the deep cuts or pulling out the file folders of like, oh, here's stuff that I haven't mounted yet, or I have, here's what I'm working on, or different things. And so then the person would say, hey, I got to run to the restroom real quick. And he would take from, he wouldn't take anything off the wall usually. He would take them like kind of from the drawers or from the folders and he would roll it up, put it in his backpack or whatever. And then they'd hang out for, a little bit longer, and he would, he'd would he be gone. They wouldn't even notice that the piece was missing. He always was very careful to make sure the piece was missing. He got caught one time. By one of the artist's five-year-old you know, daughter. Kids. <laughs> yeah, the, the five-year-old daughter <laughs> caught him and told the dad, and, uh, and he returned it. That person's not in the show. But here's the concept. He's making a commentary on how artists steal from other artists. Mm-hmm. So there's no original idea yeah. is his is his point in the art world everybody is stealing from each other his ideas idea and trends <laughs> and so you know what I'm gonna make the point by literally stealing and displaying their ideas as my own like every artist does anyway but it's okay in their version and my version is you know obviously more literal well, I thought that was an interesting statement on the art world well I, I think it's an interesting statement on the art world too but I think you when, when I'm looking at, if I'm just walking by and I observe a whole, you know, pile of other artists' work, it doesn't make me contemplate that statement anymore. Just like when I see a celebrity lying in a glass box in the middle of the Museum of Modern Art, I don't think, wow, our celebrity culture really puts celebrities on full display all the time. You know, like their artistic statements don't make me ponder the concept in any deeper way. And maybe that's just me. Maybe I don't have a sophisticated enough artistic palette. I'm willing to concede that. But at the same time, I think there are other ways to make those statements that are more effective. So, I mean, I guess to the ends that we're talking about it, that it's interesting enough for us to discuss. When was the last time we had (laughs) any sort of national discussion about a local New York gallery showing? Like high art. Yeah. Look at us. So so to be fair, I mean, that works to his point because at the very least, it is interesting. You know, even even if I don't think it has the, you know, aesthetic appeal that I would associate with the art world, at the very least, he's made an interesting statement 
uh, about a greater concept. So I'll give him credit for, for that, and, for sure. And in fact, he sort of inspired a new artistic venture of my own that I'm excited to announce today in which randomly throughout the day, hmm. I will be sleeping at my desk. <laughs> <laughs> at it's called moment. the baby. <laughs> and it's, we called, will, it's called maybe. And is Tyler working? I'll I am Maya. Will, maybe. Will he maybe. be working? Maybe. Or is he sleeping? Can and we add another wrinkle to this thing and people can steal things from you while you're while asleep? You're asleep. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that's that's illegal. So <laughs> I don't think that's I a good idea at all. <laughs> don't worry. I'm going to put it all on display somewhere. So, Jesse, what kind of art do you like? What kind of art's around your house? Successories. Yeah, I mean, right. I, I like to be pumped and inspired. So I got a lot of like, you know, I'm not going to lie. Most of it is 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 empty golf course shots. With, with just a, a, a and you know a noun like success and triumph and victory with a little handy slogan on there. That's how you de- decorated your son's nursery. Yeah, exactly. Well, I want him to be, you know, a, a ruthless uh, business person, but I'm also into subtlety too. Right. I want I want you to really be able to read into it and draw a lot of things. That's why I have words printed right on it to tell you what it is. I have a lot of mounted fish, the the ones that you push the button and it starts singing a song at you. Yeah. That's sort of my art. That's a, that's an interesting form of like, mm-hmm. of self-expression. <laughs> it speaks to yeah, me. it's an interesting form of take me down to the river. <laughs> Again, I don't I don't mean to come across as as some sort of you know unsophisticated prude, but but I, I do think some of these you know especially ones that are are more conceptual push the line of you know what is art and what is you know just sort of like sure. like the New York Times saying uh, a prank. You know, right. what, what's the what's the line between uh, a well thought out art installation and someone who's been in a couple movies sleeping in a glass box? You know, there you go. What do you have, Maya? Well, I found a slice of a woman that just decided she was not going to work the nine to five job. Do it. I hear she it was going to follow it. her yeah. dream. That's yeah. right. Yes. Yeah. Gr- she, growing up, she always liked the water. Swam a lot, yeah. did a lot of scuba Love diving. It. Who Good. doesn't? Yeah. Sure. So you think maybe she'd quit her job and become a scuba diver? Sure. That's what I was thinking. You know. Just a pro, a pro water skier. A, pro, a professional yeah. water swimmer. Anything. No. You know what she did? <laughs> she decided to become a real life mermaid. Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, or that. Or, or that. that. That was my other. <laughs> what, where? I wasn't sure that was a thing. I didn't know that was a paying did job. They, did they like sew half of a dolphin under? How did this? Yeah, who's her employer? <laughs> she kind, she kind of is her own employer. Surgery. Apparently there is a need for this out there, guys. She lives out in California and she knew someone that worked in the, you know, the, the biz, whatever it is out the, there. The what, 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 the ocean? Yeah. No, I don't yeah, know. I, when you I don't say know. the biz, I, we're <laughs> yeah. very unclear. <laughs> we're gonna need, I'm going to need some details. The mermaid, the mermaid business? No, Atlantis? the acting. Cryptozoological? <laughs> no, somebody that works in filmmaking. That biz. Oh, that, so oh Hollywood. Of okay. Hollywood. The big B biz. The, the big yeah. B, yeah. Showbiz. Showbiz, there you go. So she knew somebody who worked in the in the biz. In the biz, and she was asked to help out with a underwater music video since she's so good with underwater with stuff. Water. I don't know. And she somehow talked him in uh, to make her this prosthetic mermaid tail. So she has this real, she spent $15,000 on <laughs> it. It's made of high quality silicone, hand sculpted. And she people pay her to come to parties and swim around. She can hold her breath underwater for, for five whole minutes. Wow. And she can go as deep as a hundred feet just without any, with this prosthetic five minutes, five minutes underwater. Yeah. A hundred feet, a hundred feet underwater. 
Isn't that weird? This is this. I'll, I'll be honest. That's one of the best slices I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> you you know what? I would dream. actually pay to see her. Do I, that. I, I, she we has a website. I am mermaid.com. I am mermaid.com. You can. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be like I am a mermaid.com. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe that was. Taken. I own that. I've been quite some time. I've been selling my my line of mermaid accessories. Apparently, without much success. Right. Ironically, she goes to high end Hollywood parties. Uh, Jessica Alba, Justin Timberlake, no. and Shia LaBeouf have all had her come to their parties, and apparently they have all got amazing pools. And she interacts with a guest and swims around and is all mermaidish. Um, she also has a an online uh, TV show called The Mermaid Minute, where she teaches kids about the oceans and the creatures in them. In this slice that I have, she has a picture. I'll show you, Tyler. It has a whole bunch of. It's not squid, or. But it is uh, jellyfish. That was really concerning for a second. I didn't know really, what I was looking lots at. Lots and lots of jellyfish. Well, yeah. That, I mean, I mean, they've got. She's a. She looks like a mermaid. Not crazy. She, so it really she's is. She's thirty-four. Sure she's thirty-four mermaid years old. Like, which I just turned. So I think I need to quit my job and <laughs> chase my dream of something. It, it's amazing that Apparently we can be in a in a a recovering economy, but still hard time. A lot of people can't find work out there, <laughs> and this. More power to her. She went and made her own. She went and made a job I didn't know existed. Yeah, that no, I wouldn't have thought existed. She just started in two thousand five. And she's getting and she's getting celebrity endorsements and everything. Yeah, this reminds me of this accessory that I have. <laughs> <laughs> Luck is just a seized opportunity. Good, good job. I mean, she, maybe she saw that and became a mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would probably choose a a different cryptozoological animal like what, what would you choose well i don't this is a good question so 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 you this would, is a good you question. would become a like a, like a yeti or something well that's what i was my first hollywood parties <laughs> that'd be terrifying i would do no way i would be a centaur i would create uh, some sort of centaur yeah that would be where would the denim go centaurs <laughs> are shirtless I would make. I would have a little, a, a little denim like throw over my horseback. <laughs> I, have, I don't like, think I want to go to any parties where they want a centaur. Well, a live centaur there. Oh, you haven't seen like them, You haven't seen party. my centaur act. I make. I make it very palatable for the kids. Do you do tricks? For do you like jump over fences? I, I mean, I can do little like trots, like side to side. Are you required <laughs> to hold your breath for five <laughs> minutes for any reason? Do you jump I, in the water I with a mermaid? I stay out of the water. Okay. I'm not a centaurs and mermaids don't. They're not. They don't naturally get along. The Little Mermaid movie. I think the centaurs and the mermaids did get along. That, but that was Disney. They always whitewash everything. It's, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Disney always mess up the facts. <laughs> <laughs> the, the mythical creatures. They want you to believe. That everything's just fine, but it's it's pretty bitter out there. It's yeah. ugly. Yeah. What do you have, Tyler? Well, I found a I found a slide. This was actually announced. Yeah, we're recording on April third. I actually found this story on April first and thought it was an April Fool's prank, but birthday. it turns out it's it's real. What I found was there is a there is an airline. It's called Samoa Air, um, obviously in Samoa, and they are introducing a pay by your weight model. Yep. To get tickets, you have to pay. You. They are now charging passengers. This actually was. It turns out it was an April Fool's prank a few years ago, pulled by a company near them in New Zealand. But they are actually implementing now. The well, Samoans are known to be rather large. Yeah, it's a it's a larger. They're a a larger people group. Right. But they (laughs) but they are now. They're 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 introducing this, and the more you weigh, the more you pay before a plane ticket. There, it's going to be uh, fifty cents. 
anywhere between 50 cents and $2 per kilogram that will be added to your fee depending on how far you're flying. Wow. So so you can make a buck if you're Samoa Air based on that pay model. All right, that'll do it for Slices. Stay tuned. Up next, we talk to Jonathan Merritt about the 10 years of Relevant. I'm no good next to diamonds When I'm too close to start to fade Are you angry with me now? Are you angry cause I'm to blame? I'm no good next to diamonds When I'm too close to start to fade Are you angry with me now? Are you angry cause I'm to blame? You're listening to Boxer Rebellion The song is Diamonds From their upcoming album our current issue of Relevant, uh, March-April, is our 10-year anniversary issue, as you hopefully know. Um, <laughs> if you've seen the issue, you know that we did kind of three stories uh, around the idea of our 10-year anniversary. Mm-hmm. One of them uh, was the 10 people who have kind of most influenced our generation and kind of changed things, right. as, as heavily voted on by our That we have readers vote on. Uh, one of them was looking at the next decade, uh, to kind of, uh, we asked a lot of leaders what is coming down the pipe that our generation is going to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And the third one was written by our next guest, Jonathan Merritt, which was looking back at the last decade and and kind of identifying the 10 trends that really kind of changed everything for our generation of Christians. Um, it was interesting uh, as we collaborated with him uh, on it to see his tin list and see our tin list and kind of merge them. Try to bring them together. Uh, there definitely yeah. was some overlap. There definitely was some stuff he thought of we didn't and, and we did that uh, that he didn't. And so it was, it was a good fit. Uh, Tyler uh, recently spoke to Jonathan about the piece and about, about the last decade. And here's that conversation. first heard the the pitch like these these were going to be our ideas what sort of things did you think were going to be coming up you started in your research what were the 10 some of the 10 things that you thought would come up you know i think the most the most difficult thing about writing an article like this is choosing which 10 trends make the cut and which don't Mm -hmm. you know a lot's happened over the last decade and the christian movement has changed and continues to change at a rapid pace. I mean, we could have easily listed 50 trends sure. or 100. So, so choosing 10 was quite a task. And, uh, you know, Cameron and, and I and the editors really gave this some thought. And after a lot of deliberation, after uh, kind of polling, doing kind of an informal poll with some friends who are uh, really plugged in Christian culture watchers, these are the ones that we came up with. And I think, I think what we did in some cases, was to take multiple trends and group them together under under one heading. And I think it I think it actually turned out pretty nice. And and we've got a really cool kind of comprehensive list that touches on the various streams of change that we're seeing go on in the Christian movement. Which is one uh, or maybe a couple that surprised you that you wouldn't have necessarily expected going in when you first brainstormed, but the more you looked into it, the more you're like, yeah, this is it. You know, there were some that I think were predictable. I mean, sure. evangelicals reclaiming social justice. Entire books have been written on that. Obviously, for me, I do a lot of writing on politics, so 
Number six, young Christians don't have a political party. I knew that that one was going to be a part of this. I think one that really surprised me is number eight, which is that a Christians growing comfortable with doubt. Sure. I think for me, because I'm, I'm both writing about this generation and I'm also a part of this generation, for me, this is just the context I live in. So I, I, it's hard for me to envision um, a, a, a moment in sort of Christian history where, where people didn't feel permission to wrestle with the scandalous questions of the faith that plagued them. And so for me, when I stepped back and, and got a little bit of um, historical and cultural context, I was like, oh, wow. I mean, this really is something that I think uniquely marks our generation. When you look at people like Donald, Donald Miller and Lauren Winter, who we mentioned in the article, I mean, these are people who are wrestling with, with deep questions of doubt and faith that I think uh, popular authors, even 10 or 20 years ago, didn't feel like they had uh, permission to wrestle with. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in number seven, the rise and demise of the emergent church. Uh, like, I'm 28 years old, and I remember in, in college, probably five or six years ago now, that's when emergence was really probably at its peak. It was all anybody could talk about it at Moody Bible Institute, where I went to school. And then it just sort of faded. And you, you discuss it a little bit in your write-up, but I'm interested in your thoughts sort of from your, uh, your bird's eye view of what happened to that movement. Yeah. You know, I, it was interesting. I wrote an article kind of addressing this for Relevant Leader magazine mm-hmm. years and years ago when I was in um, seminary. And at the time, when you looked at this emergent movement, you thought you were looking at the future of the church. I mean, culture yeah. watchers, church growth experts said, this is where it's at. I mean, when we look at the church in 10, 20 years, this is what it's going to look like. But I think what happened um, was the, the emergent church movement really realized the end results of its theological trajectories. You know, there's an uh, an old adage that ideas have consequences, Mm -hmm. and so there's there we don't just hold to ideas. There are logical ends to our ideas, and so for emergent, it wasn't just the replacement of some ideas with other ideas. It was really getting into a stream of thought that was carrying these individuals in a in a particular direction. I think that the the movement really collapsed under. Uh, the weight of itself. And so, for one thing, uh, uh, the the reticence to evangelize, I think, in this movement uh, failed to create uh, another level um, of, of followers, of adherents. And, and folks who um, were a part of this movement, I think, in, in many cases, became uh, simply a wing of mainline Protestantism, sort of neoliberals. And, and as a result, folks who were in that movement who, who remained uh, stalwart evangelicals or theological conservatives, or you might even use the word orthodox, mm-hmm. just vacated the movement and, and went to other churches who were wrestling with the same questions that the emergent church movement was wrestling with, questions of truth and doubt and, and all of these um, sort of postmodern ideas but at the same time, in the other hand, they were still holding on to what we call sort of the, the, the gospel, this, this, the word of God delivered once for all. And so I, I think that, that 
the emergent movement really stepped into a stream that carried it where a lot of folks at the time were seeing that it would go. It wasn't where I saw that it would go, but now looking back hindsight, you can see how the, the, the collapse of the emergent church, as I say in, in the article, really remains a warning against reform movements that lack a theological center. Um, I know that, that politics is something that you're a bit of an expert on and that it's close to your heart. With number six, uh, young Christians don't have a political party. Uh, almost any poll would show that's probably true. Does that give people a cause for concern, do you think, that there's less of a, a, a singular leader or a, one single idea that, that Christians can join up with? Yeah, well, there's a, there's a question behind that question. And the question is, 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 is what is the goal for Christians in the 21st century? If the goal for Christians is to win the culture wars, if it is to somehow uh, become uh, cultural power brokers and to legislate um, what they believe are laws that, that sort of express their, their faith beliefs, then, then yeah, that's a bad thing because the diversification of young Christians from a partisan perspective, does create problems in terms of power, mm -hmm. right? So a voting block is only as significant as its concentration. So, so as you're finding now that, that, that you have more Christians who are Democrats, more Christians particularly who are independents, yeah. Uh, there's there's not that critical mass that make them the the powerful voting block that they used to be. If, however, you define the goal uh, of the Christian movement in the 21st century to be faithfulness, then I think that that the answer is no. Then this is actually quite hopeful, because as we uh, attempt to be faithful Christians, sometimes it will lead us to support issues that are quote unquote liberal and sometimes issues that are quote-unquote conservative. But I think one of the, the most positive things is, is, is as we pursue that path of faithfulness, we can no longer be captured as sort of the handmaidens of any particular political party. In other words, Republicans, like often happened in the last generation, can no longer reduce those who follow Jesus to a voting block to be captured, to be pandered to with religious language and then forgotten after the election. What do you see as a, because right now that's a, a huge debate among Christians is what Christian beliefs are worthy of putting into legislation and which ones are more personal or things that we keep on a purely on our, as part of our own moral code or as part of our church or our beliefs on moral code. How, how do you draw the line between those? Yeah, well, I think the first thing that we have to understand is that, that uh, biblical morality and sort of rule of law has never been and is not a one-to-one -one ratio. In, in other words, you have people today, and this is not a discussion about gay marriage, but it's one of the hot-button issues right now. They'll say, well, I, I'm opposed to gay marriage because the Bible says that marriage is defined as you know, a man and woman for life. But it sort of assumes that because the Bible says dot, 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 then, you know, then the law should reflect that. Mm -hmm. But we find in all kinds of, of areas of life, we would, even those who, who sort of espouse that view, don't support parity between the two. Great example is divorce, 
right? The Bible sure. has a particular stance on divorce. And depending on how you interpret that, uh, you know, it's maybe allowed in this case, but not that case. But in general, we would say that biblical morality certainly does not promote what we would call uh, no-fault divorce. Mm-hmm. And yet nobody would say that that divorce should be illegal in a, in a free country, in a, in a sort of democratic republic like we have. And so no matter what, you, you're finding that there's not a one-to-one parity. The question then is, which laws should carry over those sort of the, the sort of rules for for moral living should carry over and and be determined in terms of of legality should they be illegal or illegal and I think those questions are wrestled with are best wrestled with in in Christian communities uh, I think it takes a huge amount of discernment I don't think that that we're doing enough number one we're not doing enough thinking number two we're not doing enough spirit seeking mm-hmm. so so folks are sort of making up their minds on these issues without prayer without much uh, sort of conversation open conversation in their faith communities and i think we're going to have to begin nurturing this sort of of thinking and seeking in faith communities as we begin to wrestle with that i i think sometimes it is quite difficult actually not as simple as it might seem to to some christians who have vested interest in these wedge issues. It's actually quite difficult to determine which moral guidelines we find in Scripture should be mandated and enforced in laws in a pluralistic society and which should not. But, but I think that these are questions that we should wrestle with. But, but in order to even wrestle with those, I think we have to understand that it's not a one-to-one ratio. I think I have one last question for you, and that'll be it. We... Uh you probably saw in the print magazine, we also did 10 challenges facing us in the next decade in which we asked different Christian leaders and friends just to look down the road and see what they saw coming down the road, sort of like down the, down the stream in the next 10 years that, that is going to be a challenge for this generation. They're going to have to grapple with. Uh, and I'm just curious from your perspective, what do you see as being one or maybe two of the biggest things that millennials or, or the Christian church in America as a whole is going to have to take seriously? I, I would say there are actually two um, seemingly conflicting trends at work that, that are both disconcerting, and I think we have to find uh, a balance on these things. The first is something that I mentioned before, and it is the growing uh, biblical illiteracy that we're finding. So there are folks, I think now Christians, who, who they experience God in worship and they throw in their passion CD, but they're not engaging the scriptures on a regular basis. I mean, there was a, um, an interesting poll that was done not too long ago that showed um, 50% of high school seniors thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were married. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there, there are uh, polls that show that more Americans know the, the ingredients of a Big Mac than the Sixth Commandment. Um, 80% of Americans believe God helps them that help themselves is actually in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, 12% of Christians in America think that Noah's wife was Joan of Arc. I mean, this is crazy yeah. that, that there are, that two out of three Americans claim to follow Jesus, but very, very few of them are engaging the scriptures 
in a, in a way that sort of um, helps to educate them on what they claim to actually believe. And so there's this experiential impulse where we want to experience God, but we're losing sight of the disciplines that kind of undergird and help grow our faith. On the other end of this spectrum are folks who, and I think many of them um, exist within the reform community. They, they have a, a incredible commitment to theology, to learning the scriptures, um, and yet it, it seems that oftentimes these individuals are not experiencing God, or at least they're not testifying to those sorts of experiences in vibrant and fresh ways, that, that their engagement with God is largely intellectual. It's, it's a cognitive faith. And so I think that we're going to have to, between these two poles, which are forming sort of a seesaw for this next generation, I think we're going to have to find that pendulum, that middle point where we are both um, following Jesus in a way that is intellectually sound, that, that roots itself, itself in ancient uh, spiritual disciplines like scripture reading and, and theological reflection, but at the same time is experientially vibrant, that we're having these compelling encounters with God in ways that we can't always explain, but in ways that when we testify to them, these other individuals in our culture, particularly those who claim to be nuns, are saying, I want to be a part of that. I want in on that. Well, if you want to check out the article they're talking about, as well as all the other awesome content in the issue, uh, become a subscriber to Relevant. When you become a subscriber, you get instant subscriber-only access to the magazine content online, including uh, the issue that they're talking about. You also get six issues in print. We include the iPad edition for free. You get subscriber-exclusive albums and other downloads given to you throughout the year. It's a robust value. Uh, We think you'll really enjoy it, and we would appreciate the support. You can get uh, your subscription to Relevant at relevantmagazine.com slash subscribe. Stay tuned. Up next, Regina Spector. listening to Full Chin. The song is The False Alarms. Regina Spector is no stranger to uh, longtime relevant readers. Uh, I think we've featured her in the magazine two, if not three times. She's a pop folk singer and songwriter, uh, originally from Moscow, Russia. She and her family left the Soviet Union in 1989 uh, due to the ethnic and political discrimination which uh, Jews were facing at the time. She was nine and had to leave the upright piano that she learned to play on behind. She settled in the New York City area and really made a name for herself in the uh, downtown New York City anti-folk scene, especially at the East Village's Sidewalk Cafe. She's released six albums, including last year's What We Saw from the Cheap Seats. Heather Croto recently spoke to her. Here is Regina Spector. Down on Bowery, they lose their ball eyes and 
Soviet Union. And in the 80s, you could describe Russia as being somewhat isolated. Was that your experience with the musical influences that you had then? What kind of music was brought into your home? I wouldn't necessarily, I mean, it was isolated from definitely like Western pop and Western rock and stuff like that. So a lot of it was more internal, you know, a lot of classical music from all over the world. And then a lot of music kind of from the republics themselves. And then also uh, a lot of singer-songwriters, bards that were really great, guitar playing, just solo, very interesting, like poets. So all that kind of music I grew up with. But because my, my dad was really interested in Western music, even though it wasn't sort of around, there was, there was an underground, as there always is when stuff isn't allowed, uh, of people who got... Uh, their hands on Western music. So we had a lot of Beatles recordings and Moody Blues and Queen and stuff like that in our house. So I grew up with that too. to Russia earlier this year for the first time since you left in the 80s. Did it seem like a completely foreign place or was it really like returning home? It was really interesting. In one way, it was very much, it was super emotional. It was really incredible to, to get to come back to a place that I was sure I would never see again when I left. Because it was just not, at the time, people didn't come back and forth and visit U.S. forever. And it has certain things that, like, you don't really realize that you're, you're missing or you even remember until you're there. And it's like certain smells, certain colors, certain tastes, they're just so specific to it. And you can't really, it, it just doesn't exist anywhere else. And in that way, it was really incredible to experience that. But, you know, it was a type of returning home because it was going back to my childhood but then you know when I came home to New York after all that that felt like I mean New York is so much so much my home now it was so easy and the words so sweet you can't remember you try to feel the And half of your life. So I've heard you speak to how a lot of your songs are rooted in stories, but other people's stories. Do you do you gather those stories from somewhere, or are they just kind of born from your imagination? I think a lot of it is just definitely stuff that that you just feel inspired by by it. 
you know, anything from books to films to, like, just living in New York, you see so much unfold and you overhear so many cool things and then all of that is just a jump off point for your imagination. Samson went back to bed, not much hair left on his head. He ate a slice of wonder bread and went right back to bed. In a history books forgot about us and a Bible didn't mention us. And a Bible didn't mention us. Not even one. I have two versions of the song Samson um, and then you know the original is slower and it, it seems a lot less polished than the final version that's on Begin to Hope and it was originally recorded in one take for your album songs and then there's another song off of that album that you redid for what we saw from the cheap seats do you find yourself going over old songs and seeing things that you you could have done differently or you want to redo them it's not even so much that I um, could have done stuff differently that it's almost like the way that they're recorded, a lot of them, it's almost just so that I don't forget them, you know? That was actually the purpose of those recordings before I ever put out songs. That came later when, when my friend just said, well, wh- why don't you just take 12 and slap a cover on it and put out a record? And I was like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. We used to just record them so I wouldn't forget them forever. Because <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't know how to really write them down or capture them. And my memory, I was already forgetting a lot of songs. So it was an attempt to archive stuff. But it, it always felt really unfinished because I didn't get to, to arrange or produce or have a fraction of the stuff that I heard. I didn't know how to use the studio. I didn't have anybody who was remotely interested in producing me. But I never felt like they were finished, you know what I mean? I don't now I don't know if I'll ever go back and like redo those songs. I just know that for every song that was just a piano and voice song, I could hear arrangements. You know, I would want to properly record them. Like if something in my mind doesn't fully let go of the song and can just rest peacefully, you know, it's just got that kind of like I didn't finish this thing vibe going when uh when it's uh when it's just on piano and boy. That was Regina Spector. Check out the album at reginaspector.com You're listening to Noah and the Whale. The song is There Will Come a Time. I'm assuming that Noah will finally mm-hmm. catch the whale. Right. <laughs> it's an ominous warning to said whale from Noah. There will come a time. Okay, it's time for your feedback. Uh, last week, we asked you to tell us your irrational fear. 
not super glad we brought this up. People were texting or not texting. They were tweeting me yeah. like, and Facebooking me like all these like images and stories about it happened to a friend of a friend Maya's, and Maya's flushing, out, fear. flushing out like skeletons of bugs that had died in their ear ages ago. I Maya's mean, irrational on. fear is that while you're asleep, a, a, a bug, probably a spider or a cockroach will crawl into her Make ear canal and either get wedged or lay eggs. Or both. You know, that, that reminds me of a really good art installation. Someone's sleeping and bugs are crawling <laughs> in their ear, and you can watch them. You know, you remember when uh, I think Joe Rogan was a yeah, curator. whatever that show was, <laughs> Fear, Fear Factor, Factor, and they'd be in the box, clear boxes, and bugs everywhere. Uh uh-uh. uh Oh, I totally do that. Nope. For like a million bucks. Oh heck yeah. Nope. All over that. Oh, they'd be you. eating the leeches and everything. And uh, Tyler's irrational fear is anything with tentacles. And I hear you. I got tweeted. You guys were you guys were being super hilarious. <laughs> Bunch of comedians out there. Super hilarious, well, super mature. Hardy nice. har har. Everyone funnier than the one before it. You went over to our podcast episode page and posted your irrational fears there. You also hit us up on Twitter. A lot of you did at relevant podcast. <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> sent us stuff. Also, so, I, I take issue with the whole idea of irrational fear. What? No, I, I said I defined super it. Irrational. I defined it that it if totally fewer than four people in the U.S. die from this thing a year, <laughs> it's irrational. Well, well, let's jump into these and we'll try to uh, determine yeah, we can, the, the rationality of it. Like like Dan here on on Twitter, surprise wasp attacks. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. More than four people die a year from wasp swarmings. I mean, surprise. I mean, did they knowingly walk into a known wasp attack area? <laughs> or were they just like strolling down the sidewalk and all of a sudden there's Damn. a swarm of wasps that's killing them? I'm just saying, I mean, it's not something so, that So should, you're saying that's rational? Uh, yeah, I'm not saying that it's something that should be a, a primary thought in your head as you walk down a sidewalk, but if people are dying from it, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to Google how many people died from wasp attack. So, so all right, well, while you Google that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this one and tell me rational or not. <laughs> Porcelain dolls, because yeah. you never know when those suckers will come to life. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag hide the dolls. <laughs> Again, seems perfectly rational to I me. agree that's not terribly rational, but there's something kind of creepy about porcelain dolls. Yeah. We can all get, like, when they're all just sitting in a row there, like, okay. I don't trust it. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely unsettling. So the article I found is comparing uh, Americans' fears of a terrorist attack. Okay. 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 With, with other types with of other types of Concerns. Uh, yeah. concerns. So it said since 9-11 in 2001, a total of 238 American citizens have died from terrorist attacks, or 24 per year. And this is around the world, okay? Uh, 15 Americans died in 2010, 17, and 11. So, so he compared it, you know, the fear of a terrorist attack on Americans to other things. So uh, between 2000 and 2010, the same time frame, 293 Americans died because a television furniture piece or appliance fell on them and an average of more than 40 Americans are killed each year because of uh, an attack or a sting by a bee wasp or hornet. See, I, I feel like 40 a year and you gotta think some, a lot of those people probably have like an allergy or something. Yeah. You know, I, f- I feel like it falls in the category of irrational. Okay. Here's a good one. Brian Turner on our podcast page uh, website. He says his wife's number one worst fear is mounted animal heads. Huh. She would hate the Country Bear Jamboree <laughs> at <would>. Disney. <laughs> that is just the nightmare. Because they come to life and sing <laughs> he, at you. He gave a really good example. He says, on our first date out downtown, we were trying first to find... First date? Yeah, they were trying to find an exit of the parking garage. Um, 
I guess they were walking and they saw some guy struggling to get something out of the back of his minivan. All of a sudden, a huge elk head came tumbling out onto the floor and she screamed, ran to the opposite wall and started crying and hyperventilating. I bet, I bet wow. she saw the Godfather when she was like five <laughs> yeah, years old. Yeah. And just scarred her for life. I, I, Ian Gunn Davis on the, on the podcast. I wish you would have expounded on this because I don't really understand what the fear is. I have a completely irrational fear of touching paper with my bare hands. And he says, I wish I was joking about this. What? Is it is it because of like germs or paper think, yeah. cuts or the texture? Cuts. I'm going paper cuts. Can he read? Can he read? Because <laughs> it seems like it'd be pretty hard to learn to read if you can't. He's really glad when e-readers came yeah, out. Yeah, the day that the iPad was announced was, <laughs> yes. I mean, he cried tears of joy. The paperless <laughs> society is coming. Email. Thank goodness for Ian. Yeah, he has thousands of emails in his inbox. <laughs> A similar one uh, from Alyssa McDermott, also on the podcast page. She says she's terrified of eyes. Mm. I have to force myself to make eye contact because if your eyes move while I'm looking at them, I get sick. (laughs) Seems like that'd be really difficult. My my heart goes out to Alyssa. That sounds awful. That's that's just sad. Liz on the the podcast page says she grew up uh, next to an animal crematorium. Oh. Oh, So I'm sure you have all sorts of irrational fears. Maybe some health problems. (laughs) What's your... Yeah, she's probably scared of like animal ghosts or zo- zombie <laughs> yeah. animals. It didn't quite fully die. Who knows what weird stuff you inhaled over the years growing up? Yeah. <laughs> um, so her fear is this is this is pretty terrible. Her fear is being cremated while she's still alive. She said that it's a real thing when people go into super deep coma, comas, and it's hard to tell if they're alive. So it's conceivable to her that she could be cremated while alive, but actually in a coma. Mm. The tiger swag hit us up on Twitter and said, I've always been afraid that someone throwing a cigarette butt out the window will spark and sure. cause my car to explode. Sure. It dates back to my days of driving an old pickup truck that leaked gas. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. If you're leaking gas, I guess I would be that's aware a, that's of that. That's a valid. I'd be yeah. aware of that too. Yeah. Yeah. If my car has a gasoline leak, I think any open flame, much less a, a lit cigarette would be of concern. Samantha Ripple said she is terrified of the face of a lobster. Oh, I, if oh, you yeah. think if you look, think of it, you're like, oh yeah, this there's really just bo- things poking out with two black beady eyes. eyes. They're, yeah. they're a little gross. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She doesn't like jellyfish, and she also said spiders. She can't even look at a picture of one. And I actually concur on spiders. I was canoeing once with some girls. Didn't we weren't very good at canoeing, and we, we <laughs> ended up under this huge log, and we all had to. The best way to get out was just to lay down flat and like let it happen. Let it, ha- let it go. Yeah. And I was the last one. No one knows that I the last one. And I op- look up, and there is a spider, like the size, almost the size of my face, just just hit right there on the bottom of the log. On the bottom of the log, right in front of your face. And I just froze, and thankfully the that canoe would, just kept going. That would freak anybody. Yeah, freaked out. That's a, that's a scare. <sighs> I don't mind spiders, but if I spiders, looked up and saw I mean, that, spiders can get your ears. Oh yeah, you don't have to tell. Uh, Fru Daddy about that who commented on the page. <laughs> Fru Daddy <laughs> with the uh, with the tale of how he a few years back I woke up in the middle of the night with the sensation and sound that water was going to come out of my ear, <laughs> which was weird because I hadn't been swimming that day. Tried helping it out with the Q-tip, went back to sleep. Woke up again a while later with the same sensation and went to the bathroom to grab another Q-tip. Once there, however, I could tell I wouldn't need the swab as the water seemed to be coming out on its own, even though I was standing upright. I flipped on the light, looked in the mirror, and to my horror, it wasn't water at all. A giant spider came crawling out. (laughs) You just ruined Maya's life. Yep, it happens all the time, Maya. (laughs) 
Fruit Daddy is one of millions. <laughs> millions every year. Pro- that means someone that you, you're one degree of separation away from, <laughs> from someone that's had a bug crawl in their ear in their sleep. He goes on to say that by giant, I mean really tiny and actually barely visible. Still. <laughs> but it was in the it ear. Was in his ear. It woke him up. Unfortunately, oh. no baby spiders have been laid. Dot, dot, dot. That he knows. That I know of. <laughs> 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 uh. Wow. There's a lot of disgusting stories and irrational fears. If you I'm, want to check I'm it out, I'm glad yeah, everybody can, else has such. We can keep going. There's a, there's there's a, a lot, lot of fears. Yeah. I appreciate that everybody really, else. You guys is, really came out of the woodwork. You did. Like spiders. <laughs> spiders like spiders in someone's in ear. ear. That's actually my irrational fear: is our podcast listeners coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you guys. You just keep showing up. Wow. If you want to check it out, uh, you can find it at last week's episode page at the website or uh, look through our Twitter replies at Relevant Podcast. Okay, it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. Hey. All right, earlier we got talking about mer people and and, <laughs> Again. The, and the biz. Again, and the biz. Classic, the mer people biz. Classic podcast. <laughs> the mer folk. Um, and so it got us thinking, you know, this 34-year-old woman who happens to be a good swimmer and has great lung capacity decided to see an opportunity. She left the corporate world, spent her life savings on some prosthetics, and now gets to hang out with celebrities as a mermaid. Um, she became a vocational mermaid. That's crazy. Uh, we want to know, if you <laughs> were to leave it all behind and walk away from the 9 to 5 grind, what job would you create for yourself that you and pretty much only you could do? What would be your dream non-job job? And it can't like previously exist, right? There's no... Well, I mean, maybe somebody in the history of time has right. done okay. this. Yeah. But for, I would for, say for it's money. a fairly unique way to earn a living. I like the only you could do it. Yeah. Okay. It, it's stu- it's stu- it has to be something that somebody would pay you to do. Yeah. I mean, I would think of a scenario... But the problem is, who would have thought someone would the, pay a person the, to be a mermaid? That's the problem. I I would never have thought she'd no, be able to make no. money as a mermaid. People who have gold toilets in their house need to throw parties that are memorable and have things <laughs> sure. at the parties that like nobody else would have. And like sure. I have mermaids in my pool at my party. Yeah, people are gonna remember that. People right. are gonna want to come to your next. But I agree that shindig. that would be if that's the criteria. Shiloh then there's an awful it. lot of things that I could say. Maybe somebody would pay for this. Well, I think that's part of the 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 thing. You yeah. know. I mean, yeah. Yeah, who's your if, if it was a common, if it was a common job with lots of people wanting Nobody it, would do it. Yeah, yeah I mean, well, she's in would, California, so maybe I'll just learn how to hold my breath for five minutes and get a mermaid tail and do it on the East Coast. We don't have the sort of biz type parties that they have out there on the West Coast. You could probably get a job out at SeaWorld. Maybe Miami. You could probably do it at SeaWorld. Well, you know, in that SeaWorld Miami's where they do that diving thing, everything's oh, in Miami. Miami. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I tell you, those people. They need See, I, I, I think you, they you don't need, I mean, you, you you don't even have to do parties. You can think of something cool, you know, like <laughs> do you, do you if I was a mermaid. Like let's YMCA say I was a mermaid. I'm like, I'm, I don't live in chips. California, right? <laughs> <laughs> let's say I, I live in, in a state that doesn't have these big crazy parties. You can hire me to prank your friends. Maybe your friends are on a fishing trip, okay? <laughs> and and you know that you're paying a guy that is a realistic mermaid suit that can hold his breath for five minutes oh. that will swim up under their boat as a merman <laughs> and give them the, t- the, the, the scare of a lifetime. <laughs> I think fun. you're just looking for opportunities. Or, or you, have to, you have to call pest control to come get a mermaid out of your 
backyard pool. Yeah, there's or something. lots of. Yeah, there's, it, it's mermaidpranks.com. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am a mermaid, mermaid prankster. I, I am. I am mermaid. Prankster. I am. I am mermaid prankster. No, he owns I am mermaid pranks. Oh. <laughs> See, I, th- I think that's you just got to get creative because I think you can make a lot of money doing this. So, Matter of fact, I'm thinking pretty hard about it right now. <laughs> so the key, is- I need to borrow fifteen thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the key is finding you have to have your answer has to have a target audience in mind that would pay you right. yeah. for the yeah. thing or some scenario where you can make money at this and you need to be skilled like if she couldn't hold her breath underwater for more than five minutes then then i don't yeah. think she'd be very good at her job so you it took some talent right all right so uh if you want to answer that head over to our podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com hit us up on twitter at relevant podcast or post on our facebook page Many thanks to Regina Spector for talking to us. Uh, check out her new album, What We Saw from the Cheap Seats, uh, pretty much everywhere music sold. Uh, you can find out more at reginaspector.com or follow her on Twitter at R.E. Spector. And thanks to Jonathan Merritt uh, for talking to us about the article he did for Relevant. If you want to check out his new book, it's called A Faith of Our Own, Following Jesus Beyond the Culture Wars. It's available wherever books are sold. Well, on that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Maya String. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Jesse Carey. For Tab Michael Snavely. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Relevant Podcast. Go follow us on Twitter at Relevant Podcast. And for more great content, check out relevantmagazine.com. The minute I smell trouble or my own burning flesh, I'm out of there.